Welcome to The Overflow, the official podcast of The Block. The Block is a thriving young adult ministry of Celebration Church in New Orleans, full of exciting initiatives, faith-filled speakers, a lively community, and most importantly, God's presence. Our aim is that every person seeking fulfillment tunes in and walks away overflowing with knowledge, encouragement, love, and gratitude for the Word of God. We hope that you are both encouraged and challenged by today's conversation. We've been going through a series that we've been calling Before the Cross, and we've been looking at all the moments, the key moments leading up to Jesus' death um, on the cross. And so before we really begin to dive into the word um, tonight, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 27 in your Bible. Um, it's all the, the verses are also going to be on the screen, or you can have it on, you have it on your handout as well. Uh, but before we get too deep into it, I want to just take a second and uh, show you this clip, show you this video um, that, that uh, we have prepared for you. So just take a look at the screen. That's a very gruesome video, but I think that it's always important that when we talk about Jesus and what he did for us, that we get to see a glimpse of what it might have looked like for Jesus to die on the cross for us. Um, and, you know, I grew, if you don't know this about me, but I grew up in church and as I grew up in church, every time it came Easter time and we began to celebrate Jesus's death and resurrection, um, you know, we would see stuff like this and it would just make me think to myself, what did Jesus do to deserve that? Like, like what did Jesus do? Whatever could he have done to not just deserve death, but what did Jesus do to deserve death on the cross? What, what did he do to deserve? How, how could they, how could he allow them to put nails in his hands, nails in his feet, to place a crown of thorns on his head, to beat him, to jump him, to mock him, and then let him hang on the cross? Whatever could Jesus have done so bad that that could happen to him? Because all I've heard from Jesus about Jesus is that he's worthy of it all. Is that he's, he's, he's deserving of every praise. But then we talk about this and it's like, what is this? In fact, it's even, what's even more crazy is that five days before this, all the people were praising Jesus. He rode into town. He rode into Jerusalem. And everybody was celebrating the fact that Jesus was there. And they had good reason to. Jesus was a miracle worker. He healed people. He set people free. He delivered people from demonic possession. He taught what is good. He taught love. He showed what is good. He showed us how to love. And yet, five days later, they crucified him. What could anybody do in five days to deserve something like that? What did Jesus do? I would always ask myself that question. I would always ask myself, what did Jesus do to deserve the cross? And tonight, I hope to answer that question as we continue in our Before the Cross series. And what I want us to do tonight is walk through the trial that Jesus was on that sentenced him to death by crucifixion. What happened in the trial of Jesus and crucifixion, that in the trial that led to Jesus' crucifixion, despite him being notoriously known as a good man? Well, let's look at this is Matthew chapter 27. We'll start in verse 11. The Bible says that Jesus stood before the governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus answered, you say so. While he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he didn't answer. 
Then Pilate said to him, don't you hear how much they are testifying against you? But Jesus didn't answer him on even one charge so that the governor was quite amazed. Now, I'm reading this and I'm locked in. I'm on the edge of my seat because I want this question that I have to be answered. And the Bible says that Jesus was led before the governor who's acting as the judge in this in this trial. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, don't you understand the charges that these people are bringing against you? Like, are you not going to defend yourself? Are you not going to say anything? Like, you're silent, but this isn't any trial. I don't know about you, but if I was on trial, if I was on death row, because Jesus is on death row here, if I was on death row, I'll be doing and saying anything I could to not have to die. And that's just me wanting to avoid what we know today is the lecture trail. But Jesus, what he's facing, the sentence that he's facing, this is the most excruciating death in human history. And he's been brought before the judge to give an account of the, the charges that have been made against him. And Jesus isn't saying a word. Why? Why is Jesus facing crucifixion, death on the cross, and people are making false accusations about him and he's not even defending himself? This has me perplexed. I'm confused. This is unusual. What's happening? I, I, I think about it, and can, I would just give you the heads up. Jesus is silent, but Jesus is in control. Hmm. Jesus knows what's about to happen, and he's ready for it. He's already prepared himself. Uh, earlier in the series, we talked about Jesus being in the cross before, I mean, in the garden of Gethsemane, praying before he was arrested. And the reason why Jesus was praying, because he knew that everything that transpired in this trial, he knew how it was going to end. He knew that in the trial, he was going to be sentenced to death. And so Jesus, knowing that the father was in control of everything that was happening, he just silent. But he knows that things are going to happen exactly the way they need to happen. And the trial continues after Jesus was arrested. And it says, at the festival, the governor's custom was to release to the crowd a prisoner that they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, who is it you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? For he knew it was because of envy or jealousy that they had handed Jesus over. While he was sitting on the judge's bench, his wife sent word to him, Listen, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For today I suffered terribly in a dream because of him, him being Jesus. The chief priests and the elders, however, persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to execute Jesus. The governor asked them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? Barabbas, they answered. Pilate asked, what should I do then with Jesus who is called the Christ? They answered, Crucify him. Then he said, why? What has Jesus done wrong? But they kept shouting all the more, crucify him. And when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that a riot was starting instead, he took some water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children's. Then he released Barabbas to them. 
And after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. This passage, and this is your first point, is screaming at us a few things. But for me, one of the loudest things about this passage is that it is saying to us that Jesus is on trial for charges that are, that are being held against him. But Jesus is innocent. Jesus is on trial for crucifixion. He's on death row and he's innocent. And the governor, who's the judge, he knows that Jesus is innocent. And yet still, the people want him crucified. Jesus is, again, nothing but a miracle worker, nothing but a teacher of good. And all the charges that are being brought against Jesus, they, every, the, 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 the judge knows that they're, they're just false accusations, that they're just merely being made up. And, and as a result of, of being arrested, the, the governor has this idea because every year he would give away a, a prisoner to the people and they, that they would choose. And so Jesus is standing on the platform and everybody is, is being presented with this opportunity to choose a prisoner to be done away with. And they bring out this notorious criminal named Barabbas. Barabbas, the Bible says, is a notorious prisoner. He's the type of person, when he get out of jail, I don't know if you know anybody like this. But he's the type of person, when he get out of jail, you know it's only a matter of time before he go back. He, he a bad person, okay? He, he's a murderer. He's a thug. He, he's, a, he's a rebel against Rome. He's nothing but trouble. He's a notorious prisoner, which tells me this. Jesus is on death row. Barabbas is on death row. Jesus is innocent, but Barabbas is guilty. That's your next point. Barabbas is guilty, and he's deserving of death. And he stands on side of Jesus. And listen, the scripture is trying to get you to see that this is no comparison. There is no comparison. There is no comparing Jesus and Barabbas. That Jesus is the model of perfection and he's the model of godliness, while Barabbas is the model of imperfection and he's the model of ungodliness. You can't even compare the two. One is all the way deserving of death by crucifixion, the other is undeserving of death by crucifixion. And perhaps the governor went to the prison and pulled out the worst of worst criminals. Like, go get the baddest one that everybody knows about. So surely, when I present them with the option between Jesus and Barabbas, they don't choose Barabbas, but they actually let this innocent man go. It's likely that's what the governor's thinking. And so he puts Jesus, the innocent, before the people, and he puts Barabbas, the guilty, before the people, and he says, which one do you want? They said, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And the people are screaming this, they're yelling it, but there's something about this passage that stands out more to me than the people who are yelling for, for, for Jesus. Jesus is still silent. Like, you were quiet at first when you was with the governor, sure, like, okay, whatever. But now it's real, okay? Now the people have, have, have soured or ruined your second opportunity for freedom, and they want the bad man instead of you the good man. The man who has done nothing but good for the people who now want to crucify him. Jesus, please say something. Anything right now will do. Like, when we read the Gospels, we know that Jesus is a talker. We know Jesus can talk himself out of many situations because he did it before. Right? We know that Jesus can call down legions of angels to fight his arrest. 
But he's not even doing that. And I'm reading through this trial and I'm like, Jesus, help yourself. Do something. But Jesus is silent. He's not speaking. And then it dawned on me. And then it all began to make sense. That the reason why Jesus is silent is because Jesus isn't trying to save himself. He knows if he starts to talking that he can do what needs to be done for him to, get to, to be unarrested. Jesus knows that he can call down legions of angels to fight his arrest if he wanted. But Jesus isn't trying to save himself. Jesus is trying to save Barabbas. The, the crazy part about this whole trial is that Jesus isn't trying to save himself. He's trying to save the murderer. He's trying to save the notorious prisoner. He's on the platform and, he, and Jesus has the case in his briefcase to prove that he's innocent and he's not guilty the way the people want to make the governor believe he is. And he's not saying anything because he knows if he says something, then Barabbas has to die. And Jesus doesn't want to see Barabbas die. Jesus wants to save Barabbas. And that's the craziest thing about this thing. And Jesus understands if that he, if he has, if he, um, if he wants to save Barabbas, he has to take the cross. Because that's where Barabbas is headed. That only one person can be saved in this scenario, and only one person, and only one person can die. And Jesus has to make a choice for himself. Do I save myself? Or do I save Barabbas? And Jesus knows that he has to jump in front of the bullet and subject himself to the punishment of death on the cross so Barabbas doesn't have to. Here's your third point. This is the greatest exchange in human history. Jesus gave up his life in exchange for the death that was due for Barabbas. Everybody knows, remember, he's a notorious prisoner. And everybody at this point knows that Barabbas is guilty and worthy of death. But nobody knows that Jesus is trying to save Barabbas' life. Nobody knows that Jesus is trying to give up his life and take the punishment that is all right, only rightfully due to Barabbas. This is what Jesus is doing. And it reminds me of, the, of what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. It says, while we were still sinners, at the right time... Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. you saying now you're saying that Christ died for us. But just a second ago, you just said that Jesus was dying for the rabbits. Oh, I'm glad you're confused. Let me clear it up for you. When Jesus is standing on the platform and he's standing on side of Barabbas and the people have an option who to choose and he looks over and he looks into the eyes of Barabbas, he doesn't just see Barabbas, he sees you. He doesn't just see Barabbas, he sees you. And it's not because you're the model of imperfection. It's not because you're the model of imperfection. It's because you have your own set of imperfections. And your own set of imperfections will lead you to the same lifestyle that Barabbas is in. Barabbas is in prison. He makes bad decision after bad decision. He's in shackles and chains. And his life is headed directly towards death. 
And Jesus recognizes that it's not just Barabbas' life that's leading to death. It's all of humanity's life that's leading to death. And if Jesus doesn't step in front of the bullet, not only will Barabbas see death, but every human will also see death. And he recognizes that Barabbas needs a savior. And we need a savior as well, just like Barabbas. Because our lives are headed in the same direction. Because you might not have committed the same crimes as Barabbas, but you've got your own set of crimes. You've done your own set of things that are not like God, that God would deem ungodly, right? That leads you to the same prison that Barabbas is in. You don't have to commit the same crime to be in the same room with Barabbas in jail. You don't have to. People go to jail for all kinds of things. People get in trouble for all kinds of things. Right? And the same is true in this passage that you need to see that in this passage on trial, that the, the place we find ourselves in this story is Barabbas. And we also are in need of a savior because we have our own set of chains. We have our own set of bondage. And just like Barabbas, we're enslaved to our own desires. That perhaps you're here and you've made bad decisions after bad decisions. And you're living a life that has only led to more and more regret because you feel unfulfilled. And you're here, and you've been trying to do life on your own, and you're tired. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you're insecure. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe your life is filled with guilt and shame. Maybe you've been living an ungodly life. You know why? Because you're just like Barabbas. I'm just like Barabbas. And I, too, stand on the platform with Jesus, and I'm in need of somebody to save me. But thanks be to God that he sent us Jesus. That Jesus was willing to stand on the platform and be silent so that he can save our life. And I began to wonder, Jesus, why though? Why would you want to save Barabbas' life? Why would you want to save my life if it costs that much? If it costs the cross? And here's the answer. Jesus loves you. Period. That, that's your fourth, your fourth point. Jesus loves you. Because remember, Romans said that he proved his love to us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. God loves you. Now, now, now let me make this clear, okay? Because Jesus doesn't love, only love the better you. He just doesn't love the you that has it all together. He doesn't just love the you who finally made his parents proud, who finally got the job, who finally got the career, who finally started making better decisions for themselves. No, Jesus just loves you, period. He just loves you. And Barabbas is the great example of that because Barabbas doesn't offer anything to Jesus. It doesn't say that Barabbas loved Jesus. It just says that Jesus loves Barabbas. And he loves Barabbas so much that he's willing to take the death that is due for Barabbas on himself. And also for you to avoid that same death, he took that punishment so that you wouldn't have to. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of why we celebrate the, the death and resurrection of Jesus because Jesus died a death so we didn't have to. And his blood that he shed for us covers all of our sins in full. Period. And the reason why he did it is just because he loves you. That's it. No what ifs, no but this, but that, but I look at the things that I did. Look at how far I've strayed. Look at how, how long that I've wandered. Jesus, he don't care about all of that. He just loves you. 
And Jesus is standing on the platform and he's silent and he's looking at the rabbits and he's like, I'm going to let them go because I love them. And I love them so much that I'll take the punishment so the rabbits doesn't have to. You've heard this, you heard this verse your whole life, but John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever will believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever will believe in him would not perish, but he would give them everlasting life. That what Jesus is offering to you is eternal life. That he's willing to exchange the, the death that you're heading for, the destruction of your life, to give you eternal life. And you know why Jesus can offer you eternal life? Because he's the resurrection and the life. And Jesus proved this to us because not only did he die, but the Bible tells us that three days later, Jesus got up and rose again. He rose up from the grave for your sake and for my sake. He didn't just have the power and the love to die. He had the power and the love to raise up again on the third day. And the Bible tells us that some of his disciples on the third day went to the tomb to see, to check on the body. And they were met with an angel. And the angel asked the question, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? Because he's not here. The Jesus that you see was crucified, the one who died on your behalf, he's not here. He has risen. Jesus has risen and the tomb is empty. And that's the good news about Jesus. That's the good news about Easter. That because Jesus got up and rose from the grave, so you too can get up and rise from the grave. And all you got to do is just believe. That's it. All you have to do is put your faith, your hope, and your trust in Jesus and you too will be saved. He will exchange your life from eternal life. Now, if Jesus can, wait, can raise from the grave and defeat death, hell, and the grave, then what can he do in your life? Because some of you came in and, and, and you feel like Barabbas. You feel like your life is a prison and you've been walking in chains. You've been walking in bondage. You've been walking in depression. You've been walking in anxiety. You've been walking in fear. You've been walking in hopelessness. You've been walking in unfulfillment. You've been walking in generational curses. And God is saying, if my son, if I, if, my, if I gave my son the power to rise up from the grave, then why can't I break the chains in your life? Why can't I turn your life around? If I already died for you and rose on your behalf, why can't I raise you up from the grave as well? You have access to a power in Jesus that can take all your, all your sorrows away. He'll turn your sorrows into joy, your mourning into dancing. But all you got to do is believe. Believe in the good news about Jesus. The reason this trial is so important, especially on a day like today, is because what we need to recognize about the good news is that when we see Jesus hanging on the cross, that should have been us. That's the death the Bible tells us that we deserve. But it also teaches us that we don't have to endure that type of punishment, that we don't have to spend eternity in the grave or in hell because we have Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross so that we wouldn't have to, and that we may have life and life more abundantly. Here's your last point. To God, 
you are worth dying for and living with. To God, you are worth dying for and living with. The, the story finishes, the trial ends, and it doesn't tell us what Barabbas does after Jesus takes his place. It doesn't tell us if Barabbas left the platform after being released of, of death row, that he's decided he was going to love Jesus forever, that he was going to commit himself to Jesus forever. It doesn't tell us any of those things. It doesn't tell us that he did. Maybe he did, maybe he did. But what happens is that Barabbas left the platform and he left with a choice. And the choice that Barabbas was, was, was presented with was that he can now have a brand new life. That he can change his situation. He can stop making bad decisions. He can stop doing things that continue to lead him to bondage and prison and to the same cycles over and over again. He can have a brand new life because somebody else took his place. And I don't know what he did. I don't know what Barabbas did. But my question tonight for you is what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Knowing that Jesus took the punishment on your behalf and rose up on the third day so that you can have life with him, what are you going to do? Are you going to go through life and you're going to do it with Jesus and stop trying to do it for yourself? And stop trying to earn your own way to heaven? And stop living in guilt? And stop living in shame? And stop living in shackles and bondage of depression, anxiety, and fear and all the rest? Are you going to come to Jesus? You're going to love him? You're going to commit yourself to him? And you're going to follow him and he's going to change your life forever. He's not just going to change this life. He's going to change your eternal life. That you don't have to go to, to bad places. You don't have to worry about hell. You don't have to worry about the destruction of your life. Because Jesus steps into your life and he gives you life and life more abundantly. What are you going to do? What's the decision that you're going to make? Because what Jesus did for the rabbis, he put the ball in his court. And tonight I just want to put the ball in your court. I want you to know, if you don't remember nothing else from this sermon, is that Jesus did everything for you, and all you got to do is believe. And if you believe, it is the first day for the rest of your life. I'm going to ask you to stand as the band comes. They're going to sing us a song, and we're going to worship. Our life group leaders, you can begin coming to the front. And I just want to give each and every one of you the opportunity to make a decision. To make the decision that Barabbas had to make. And Barabbas had to choose to accept Jesus. He had to choose to not go back to prison. To not continue to do the things that he'd always been doing. He had to choose a brand new life that Jesus was offering to him. Tonight, Jesus is offering you a brand new life. If you need a new life, if you need help, if you've been struggling... The beauty about Jesus, the good news about what he did for us, is that he's offering us a brand new life. He's offering us eternal life. And all you've got to do is just believe. And to Jesus, you're worth it. To Jesus, you're loved. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are thankful for who you are. We bless you. And Father, we are thankful for the opportunities that we get to reflect on what it is you have done for us. 
God, all of us, God, we recognize, Father, that we are in need of a Savior. So, Father, we are praying that you would do that, that you would do what you that what needs to be done, so that we won't leave, live a life that leads to destruction. Father, that you've given us an opportunity to embrace you, to accept you, and to love you, and to change our life in radical ways that we never thought before. Father, we pray that you would come into our hearts, make your home in our hearts. Father, that we will know you. Thank you for releasing us to freedom. So that we can know you in our hearts and we can have life and life eternal. Father, we love you. We bless you. We honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we always celebrate Easter. We make a big deal about it. We have crawfish. We have jambalaya. It's an exciting time. Because we reflect on Jesus and the fact that he, was, he resurrected himself. Right? But... The other reason why we celebrate it is because we have a hope to look forward to knowing that one day Jesus will also resurrect our lives. And so like the party we're going to have after service is going to be fun. It's going to be great. But we want you to know that there's going to be another party in heaven. And the party in heaven is only going to be filled with those people who believe in what Jesus did for them. They put their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus and having done that, we don't just celebrate the resurrection here, but you get invited to celebrate the resurrection in heaven. And we want that for all of you. So if you're here tonight and you've never accepted Jesus in your heart, that's why we're pleading with you. We don't want the prophets to be enough. We don't want the jambalaya to be enough. We want Jesus to be enough for you. We want you to reflect on what Jesus has done for all of us because he loved us, but God thought it was you were worthy of giving his only son for, and just believe. And having believed in him, spend the rest of your eternity in heaven with him, celebrating, feasting for the rest of your life. I'm gonna pray for us, because I want each and every person in this room to just self-reflect and ask yourself honestly, have you truly given your life to Jesus and thanked him for what he did on our behalf? Lord, again, we're grateful and again, we're thankful for what you have done for us because your death and resurrection has given us the right to eternal life in you. And Father, we're going to celebrate your resurrection today. God, we want to look forward to celebrating the resurrection in heaven with you when you resurrect our bodies. Father, I'm praying for everybody under the sound of my voice, Father, who needs to commit their life to you, who needs to recommit their life to you. Father, that they may live life and have life more abundantly. Lord, that the sin that plagues humanity won't lead them to a life of death and destruction, but by your spirit, we will be lead to life and life more abundantly, to eternal life, a life of celebration, a life of excitement, in a life filled with, your, with the beauty of your presence. Father, we're thankful for who you are. We love you. We'll sing your hallelujahs. We'll sing your praise forever and always because of what you've done for us. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the whole house said, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk, make sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. You can keep up with us by following our Instagram by searching at the block NOLA. Again, thanks for listening to the Block Podcast.